Welcome to Linked Up, Breaking Boundaries in Education, a podcast that focuses on what is happening in education today, connecting everyone to the movers and shakers that are breaking boundaries in the education arena. Welcome to Linked Up, Breaking Boundaries in Education. I'm Jerry Kimball, and co-hosting with me today is Jamie Sapanero. Our guest today is Jackie Nisi. She is an assistant professor at Brown University in the Department of Psychiatry and Human Behavior. She's a clinical psychologist and she's doing some amazing research on adolescents and how the role of social media is really impacting their relationships and how it's impacting them emotionally and socially. Um, It's really interesting to find out uh, what she's finding out about kids these days. And she's even being funded by the National Science Foundation and the American Foundation of Suicide Prevention. We welcome you, Jackie. We are so excited to hear about your research and what's going on. We've had other guests on our show that have talked about social and emotional learning and what's going on, but I don't think we've had anyone on that has done the research in the the depth that you have done it. And so I would love to just get started by talking a little bit about some of the research findings that you have found as you are looking into how social um, interaction is being impacted by social media on our teenagers today. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for for having me. Um, And yeah, I'm I'm excited to talk about to talk about my research. You know, I think that this is such an important area. um, And it's something that we're learning so much about every day. Like it's really a new sort of a new area where we need a lot more research. So um, yeah, yeah. I, so my my research, I would say, sort of has covered two two broad areas. So, I mean, generally, I'm interested in how social media impacts teenagers' relationships and mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, so one area that I've looked at is how um, trying to understand how social media kind of differs from our traditional in-person interactions and what that means for teens' relationships with their friends and their peers. The other area that I've um, tried to understand better is how social media is impacting teenagers' mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, but with really a focus on um, depressive symptoms and suicidal thoughts and behaviors, because we know that those things have increased in prevalence uh, among teenagers within the past 10 to 15 years. What I was amazed that the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention was supporting your research. So there must be some kind of correlation are you seeing there with suicide? That's really the big question. Yeah. So so in in recent years, like I said, the past 15 years or so, we know that rates of suicidal thoughts and behaviors have increased among teenagers Mm -hmm. and increased pretty significantly. And of course, we also know during that same period of time, something else has increased, which is the use of social media. Um, But unfortunately, right now, there still is not enough research, I think, to draw that kind of causal link, like to really say that social media is causing that increase. What we're finding so far is more that it's, it's less about kind of how much time teens are spending on social media. And it's really more about 
both who they are, so the individual teens themselves and maybe what vulnerabilities or strengths they, they bring in, um, and then what they're doing online. So what kinds of behaviors and experiences are they having on social media? So those are really the things that, that researchers now are trying to focus on more than the kind of screen time um, overall measures. Have you done research um, during this COVID period? And yeah. how's that yeah. going to affect things? I'm thinking yeah. this yeah. is question. Yeah, and yeah. COVID, COVID has so thrown a little bit of a wrench in oh. everyone, I mean, in so many aspects yeah. of society. Um, specifically for the research world, it's definitely made things more challenging because usually, um, the types of studies I do involve really meeting in person with teens and talking to them directly um, and gathering data that way. And so we've really had to adjust. We've had to uh, we've had to turn things virtual a lot more um, a lot more Zoom. But right. for my research, I think it's been really interesting because social media has become just even more of a central focus of teens' lives during COVID. I think yes. it's always been a big part, but now it's a necessity for teens to be able to connect with each other. They kind of have to be using social media. So I think it's forced us to look at some of the some of the positives and some of the, the things that we sort of need need from social media. So when you do your research, uh, you typically meet in person. Yeah. Uh, and so now you're having to meet virtually. But how do you uh, find subjects to use for your research? How many do you typically use? What does that data look like? Yeah, great question. So it really varies across um, the different studies that I've done. So sometimes for um, studies, we'll do what's called an observational study, where we're just collecting a whole bunch of information, usually from a large sample of a couple hundred teens. Um, and then we're trying to look at correlations between what they're reporting in terms of their social media use and their mental health. So in that case, we would do something like maybe go partner with a school or a couple schools in a school district um, and then maybe follow teens every year over the course of a couple of years and collect some data from them um, every year. In other cases, um, so with, for example, my work with um, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, um, I'm working more with a clinical population because I'm really interested in seeing for really vulnerable teens who might already be at risk for things like suicidal thoughts and behaviors. I wanna understand how they're using social media and how it's impacting them. Um, so for that study, I'd be doing um, the recruiting, so finding participants for the study for more of a hospital type setting, like a psychiatric okay. hospital, right. and then meeting, like I said, more kind of one-on-one -on -one with them to do interview, like clinical interviews, and to ask more kind of in-depth questions. So that way you can target based on what you're, you're looking for. You yeah, exactly. So like your target, yes, exactly. Target this very specific population to kind of understand more what's happening for them on social media. So you said it's not so much about the time spent, but more yeah. about the how. What do you mean about the how? What does that mean? Yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, so often I think our focus has been on the time spent and I don't think that's necessarily a problem. I think mm -hmm. it is important to be thinking about how much time is being spent online. But, but what we're finding is really that it's more about what teens are doing online, um, perhaps not surprisingly. So, um, you know, for my research, that's meant, you know, things like 
we know there are risks from certain behaviors online, like and experiences, like cyberbullying, for example, we know is pretty highly correlated with um, risk for suicidal thoughts and behaviors. Um, other types of behaviors that I think about in my research are things like um, social comparison. So our teens, when they go on social media, are they comparing themselves to other teens? Maybe they're seeing you know, the perfect pictures yes. of them online yes. and is that having an impact on their mental health? Um, on the positive side, are they going on social media and messaging directly with friends, getting support um, and you know, sharing things about their lives? In that case, it, I think that social media can sometimes be a positive thing. Um, so it really depends on how they're using it. So, you, so you're looking at the how in terms of um, what types of things that they're doing. Now with cyberbullying, I just have a quick question about that. Yeah. Um, you are obviously talking to the recipients of that, but then how about those who are actually doing the bullying? What are you finding out about students who are children who are, yeah. are those who are imposing. Yeah, yes, yeah. Um, so we actually, um, it's good timing because my research team just finished doing what's called a meta-analysis where we looked at every study that's, sort of, that's been published to date on um, social media use and risk for suicidal thoughts and behaviors and looked at the correlations across all those different studies. And so what we found was that the biggest effects were for getting cyberbullied. So those kids were definitely more at risk um, mm -hmm. for suicidal thoughts and behaviors. But there was also a small risk for the teens who were doing the cyberbullying. Yeah, um, yeah. So sometimes I think those are the same teens. Like I think sometimes there's, they're getting bullied and maybe as a result they're doing the bullying or gotcha. vice versa. Okay. Um, but sometimes they're different teens and it seems like there's at least a small risk as well for those kids. So there may be something about those kids where they're having a harder time um, that's leading them to engage in those kinds of bullying behaviors. Yeah, I mean, I figured that. I figured that because yeah. they are, they're doing it for a reason. There's gotta be a reason that mm -hmm. they're doing it. So digging deep into why that probably is a little yeah. revealing as well. Yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. And I think it speaks to this. It also speaks to the kind of, you know, these things are, we know these things are all correlated, but we don't have a lot of great evidence about causation. So what's coming first yeah. and what's coming second. So right. for some of those kids, it may be they're already at risk. They're already having a hard time with their mental health. And then that's sort of what's leading them to engage in the bullying behaviors rather than, yeah. you know, the other way around. Are there some, some skills that you teach them to empower them to deal with bullies online? I'm a former school counselor, so we were always working on some of those empowerment skills so that you could deal with it and kind of get the group together and support the person that's being bullied. But that would be hard to do online. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. There's and there's, um, you know, there's now a number of really excellent initiatives around cyberbullying prevention and how, yes. to, how to intervene and get involved. Um, I always direct people to common sense media as a great resource oh, yes. all, all things media but the <laughs> they have great resources around cyberbullying um but I, I in general you know the, the guidelines typically are actually the same as they would be with in-person bullying in a lot mm -hmm. of cases so 
Um, a lot of encouragement of bystander intervention. So if you see yes. something happening on social media too, you you try to intervene. Um, but with social media, there's the added um, recommendations around things like, you know, turning turning it off. So bl maybe blocking the person, um, leave, maybe leaving that site at least temporarily. Um, taking a break from your phone, if this is coming up over and over again, kind of giving yourself some time away from it. Um, you know, cause with cyberbullying, the difference is really that it's, it can happen any time of day, as I'm sure you guys have, have seen right. in your education work. It can happen anywhere, anytime. It's often more public. Um, sometimes it's more harsh because the person is kind of hiding behind a screen mm -hmm. um, and can say things they wouldn't normally say. Right. So there's some, some things around that that I think we try to educate teens about um, mm -hmm. and try to help them figure out ways to, to shut down some of those problematic aspects of right. You know, there's, there's something happening now too that I think is interesting. My daughter is a school counselor and we were having this conversation this weekend. And before we had always said, get that computer out in the living room and in front yeah. of everyone so yeah. we all know what's going on, right? right? And now with school happening on the computer, Mm -hmm. parents are saying okay you need to get to a quiet spot go to your bedroom with the computer so now we're sending this new message mm -hmm. of get to the quiet spot and you know she was wondering how is this all going to play out because now we're actually telling kids to go somewhere private and you know that's when a lot of that bullying happens and there's not that adult just kind of looking over the shoulder seeing what's happening so yeah it's so it's, it's so challenging so challenging for it is challenging families right now like there's all these new um things coming up with the the, pandemic. the new world yeah yeah, yeah that we live in because that was one of the things is just making sure everything is in the open and parents are watching mm -hmm. also are there times of day that more of the bullying happens mm. is there research that shows that it happens yeah. like after 10 o'clock at night or anything yeah, yeah. You can hold on to, to good question I actually don't I don't know if there's any research specifically looking at at times of day but I do know that you know the times like you said when kids tend to be kind of alone with their devices, um, do tend to be more kind of at night, later at night. Yeah, um, yeah. And that's oftentimes when kids are using their devices the most. So I would expect that that's usually when things tend to come up. Absolutely. So you also mentioned that um, you know, part of your research is on how friendships are impacted. So how, what have you seen between you know, what's going on now as opposed to 15 years ago with those peer-to-peer -peer yeah. friendships. Yeah, so, so in my research, I've tried to kind of take a step back from this and really think about what is different about social media compared mm -hmm. to what we've always known about our interactions. And so there's a few, I think, port important kind of features of social media that impact, mm -hmm. that change relationships. Um, so you know, we know that it's more public meaning it tend, things tend to be shared with a bigger audience. Mm -hmm. um, it's available any time of day, obviously, which is very different. Um, yes. It's, um, an, I think an important thing is that it tends to be very quantified, meaning that you can count every interaction, every number of likes yes. that you get, the views that you yes. get. Um, and that's yes. such a huge component of what's mm -hmm. happening in relation to peers on social media. Mm -hmm. um, 
and then the other thing is that it tends to it tends to lack um, interpersonal cues. So like um, you don't typically get the nuance of like the tone of voice or facial expressions. In most cases, it's more um, you know something that's shared and uh, maybe it's just text or a photo and it's just you don't get the same kind of richness as you would in an in-person right. interaction so i think all those things combine to really make a difference in how teens are interacting with each other so they're now expecting that they can get in touch with friends and that friends will be available any time of day like truly yeah. any time <clears throat> and from any location um, they may be more attuned to things like um, their social status or popularity because those things are now so obvious with the kind of publicness and the, the mm -hmm. quantified number of likes and that kind of stuff. So I think there may be a bit more of a focus on that. Um, and then I think with the kind of lack of interpersonal cues, you know, I think in some ways that can encourage teens to do things like more self-disclosure and sharing um, because they maybe yes. feel a bit safer behind the screen. Yeah. And on the other hand, like we talked about with bullying, I think that sometimes it can also lead to saying things you wouldn't normally say in a more negative way. Um, so I think there's, there's positives and negatives to, to all of that. Oh yeah, absolutely. You have a you have a different bravado that you would have that you wouldn't have in person, right? So that you feel more comfortable saying something that you normally wouldn't in person, um, or like you said, you know, the cyberbullying yeah. and the negative. Yeah, and I think teens are say. very um, teens are very aware of that. I think too. You know, when I talk to teens, I think um, they know that the way that they interact on social media is different and they know that certain people are maybe more likely to be different on social media than they would be in person. And it's a big, I think a big component of their social lives. Yeah. You know, my daughters, some of my daughter's friends prefer to FaceTime and I love that. Yeah. I love that they do that because they can have that, um, you know, especially if they are not, uh, together as often, right? At least they can have that different type of interaction too. So I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, a lot of times I'll, when I am talking to teens about their social media use, I'll try to encourage them to use things like FaceTime, like things that more closely kind of mimic a, a, a traditional in-person interaction. Um, not that, you know, all social media use is bad, but I do think that there's something there's something different that you get from a FaceTime interaction versus a text message interaction, mm -hmm, for example. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in terms of mental health, and I don't know if there's any correlation, but I do know that we have this, we have this phone in our hands that allows us to connect to anything. And we always want to know if, what messages there may be or what likes there may be. Have you noticed an increase, I don't know, maybe OCD or something mm -hmm. that just, you know, they, they obviously have FOMO and that, that is something that keeps them um, always wanting to connect their phone. So I mm -hmm. love the idea of disconnecting sometimes, like you mentioned before, but mm -hmm. a lot of times they just can't. How does that come <laughs> to you, right? Yeah, yeah. So I don't know about any specific connections between that kind of, um, you know, pressure to engage and mm -hmm. anxiety symptoms specifically. Mm -hmm. I would guess that there may be an association. So kids who are more on the anxious side might be more likely to struggle with, with um, disconnection. Um, but I think that in some ways with social media, that's such a universal experience mm -hmm. because it is. we know that 
social media sites are designed to provoke that. Like the, the way that they're designed is to, they are, you know, designed by algorithm where they're mm-hmm. feeding us whatever information is going to make us most likely to click um, and to keep coming back. So it's really hard for teens. It's really hard for adults mm-hmm. um, to put down the phone and to take a break from it. Um, so I think, you know, with, with teens, that is something that I try to encourage as well is occasionally trying to take that break. And um, I think it requires, um, it requires some planning, I think, around doing that, especially when that's your whole social life is, is sort of wrapped up in that. Um, it takes some, I think, some careful consideration about kind of how you'll stay in touch with your friends, what things you're willing to do and not willing to do when it comes to social media. Um, and, and yeah, I think it's, a, it's definitely has that, that draw um, for everybody. For sure. Absolutely. And it, it's set up so that, is it true we get that dopamine rush when we get more? <laughs> Lights. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yes. We, I think, you know, we get a dopamine rush um, anytime. Sort of something positive happens in our in our lives, and especially um, when it involves some kind of reward. And so, definitely, with the seeing the notifications light up, um, definitely will will give us a a surge of um, of feeling pretty good. Um, I think, you know the there are ways that we can try to structure our social media use to minimize some of that stuff so turning Mm -hmm. off notifications is a really obvious example but something that sometimes teens do find helpful just to um, make it easier to kind of shut it off Um, that's not always that you think it's obvious but honestly I don't know if it is that obvious to teens I just right I think that is a really important tip I really do Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. because it, it really does make a difference if you turn off those notifications. I yeah, try to keep my phone off, yeah. like not yeah. off, it's on, but right. the sound, the sound right. audio right. off. Right, yeah. I think teens a lot of times, and I think this is changing, but teens a lot of times I think are, are not aware of uh, the fact that the sites are designed to encourage that sort of mm-hmm. use and kind of compulsive mm-hmm. use. So, you know, sometimes I, I'll hear people you know, remind teens that there's a reason that notifications are red, for example, not a different color, because when they're red, they're really hard to not click on. Right. <laughs> and there are so many things like that, that I think just sort of educating teens about that, I think can, can make a big difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was wondering about that. Are there some, um, are schools starting to do more education around the social media? And, yeah. and it's difficult, right? Because the teachers, many of them are not that educated themselves. Um, You know, we didn't grow up with it. And so a lot of times the kids know more about it than the teachers. Yeah, Yeah, I think, yeah, it is hard. It is hard, especially because we're learning so much about it, like, you know, every day that I think, you know, recommendations are changing and it's hard to keep, keep on top of all that stuff. I do think it varies by the school from what I understand, but I do think a lot of school districts are implementing what's called digital citizenship. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so, so, and those vary. So sometimes I think those are very focused on, you know, outlining the risks and, and that's it, you know, don't talk to strangers yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of stuff. Sometimes they're, I think, more comprehensive where they do go into, okay, thinking about social media, how is it impacting mm-hmm. your mental health? How can you use it in healthier ways? Um, so I think it 
it varies, but I definitely know that there are lots of um, researchers out there, including a, a colleague of mine at um, Pittsburgh, Sophie Jukas Bradley, who is working on developing these kinds of, of interventions that can mm-hmm. be offered in, in schools um, in right. order to help teens you know, understand how these sites are being designed and how that might be impacting them. Right. I think that's yeah. important. It's very important because we kind of, we take, we take it for granted that it's there, but we, but what's, what are the layers beneath right. it right. that are impacting us? Right. And that's, yeah. Yeah. And there's just, you know, every, it's so interesting that everything we see on social media really is the result of a design choice by somebody at the social media mm-hmm. company. So we think that it's sort of all happening organically, but really it's all it's all part of the design. It was all chosen in advance. So Right. Well, you know, years ago, we did a lot of education around um, tobacco and how the tobacco industry would really yeah. pull the kids in, like the bandwagon and all of the ways yeah. that they would pull kids in. And I think it would be good for kids to see how social media is kind of manipulating them as well Definitely. so that they can make good choices and Definitely. understand the psychology behind what's happening to them. Definitely. And I think that's some of the messaging that sort of trying people are trying to get out there now is to help kids understand you know, how are how are these companies maybe manipulating you in ways that you're you're not right. quite aware of. Yes. Yeah. I I think that's really good because Mm -hmm. social media is not going away. You know, we're going to have to learn to deal with it in a healthy way. What, um, what advice do you have for, for teenagers and maybe their parents and people that parents too? Yeah. Yeah. Because like Jerry said, you know, we, as adults, we didn't grow up with this, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a little difficult. And Mm -hmm. as you mentioned, Jackie, as adults, we fall to these trick, the trickery yeah. of social media as well. So yeah. um, we're guilty as well. So how, how can we, you know, t- teens help themselves, parents help their teens? Yeah, I think so for, so for parents, I think the first thing I, I always try to point out to parents is that I, I think that parents should trust themselves <laughs> and, um, you know, I do think that many, even though social media is so different in a lot of ways, I do think that many of the same parenting skills and strategies that the parents already have are going to be the most important thing here. So, so I do always try to encourage parents to, to have some confidence that they do know what they're doing, even though social media feels new. Um, but I, so the other thing I think uh, in general, I think the framework generally for parenting teens, but um, with social media too, is kind of the, the warm and firm approach. Mm-hmm. So, so firm being, you know, set clear limits about what's okay and not okay when it comes to social media and stick with those. So, and that's the hard part because it's very, very hard. Uh, we know it's hard setting rules and it's hard sticking with those rules, but as much as parents can have in advance um, with their teen being aware, like what is going to be the consequence if this rule gets broken and then following through if it does get broken. So that's kind of the the firm piece. The warm piece is exactly what it sounds like. So although being sort of strict and clear about the rules, still having a warm approach. So very validating, helping your teen understand that what they're feeling and experiencing makes sense. Um, that you know that you still love them despite all of these, despite all of maybe these things happening on social media, um, 
and really keeping those lines of communication open. Because um, I think one of the risks sometimes that, that we run into is, you know, a teen shares something maybe negative that's happening on social media. And the obvious natural reaction is, you know, fear on the part of the parent and maybe then trying to limit the social media use or to kind of shut it off or to say, oh, you can't do that anymore online. Um, but the risk of that is that then I think the teen feels like, oh, I can't come to my parent in the future right. and tell them when something wrong has happened or when something right. bad has happened on social media. That's um, super important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think keeping the communication lines open is is critical, especially with this, where we're still, we're all sort of still figuring out the best way to approach it. Right, yeah. right. And modeling, if we can that's modeling good models, good role models, and that's tough to do. It's yeah. a great point, and yeah, very, yeah. very tough to do. It's amazing how many teens I speak to who talk about how their social media use is fine, but their parents are the ones that need to work on it. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Yeah. So true. Yeah, modeling is good, yeah. um, and obviously needs to be in place because otherwise, what are they going to learn from? So. Right. Exactly. It's so important that way. And then you also mentioned common sense media too. Uh, we'll yes. link that here too, but it is a great place to go. Um, yeah, com I think common sense is really a go-to, tends to be really a go-to resource. Um, mm -hmm. There's something else too called the, um, that sometimes I'll direct people to called the family media use plan. Okay. Um, and that's from the American Academy of Pediatrics. It's a bit more outdated now. I think it's like 2017. Um, but it's just kind of a, a way to organize what your family's expectations, mm -hmm. rules, things around media use um, would be in your home. And um, they have kind of sections for each age group, including a section for teens. Um, sometimes that can be a good just a conversation starter, I think. Yeah, we yeah. actually use that in our school oh. district. We had um, a professor on the school board and he was very um, involved in this. And so he asked that we put that out for all of our parents when we rolled out our one-to-one. -one. Oh, and so great. parents had the opportunity to set up a contract with their students, right. which, you know, like you said, it's not really so much the contract, it's that conversation. Yes. Just mm -hmm. having that conversation. It's totally. not really the contract, I don't think. Uh -huh. But just yeah. talking about what are the expectations? I loved it. I thought it was a great um, way to talk about what the expectations yeah. are. Did the parents? Did the parents tend to think it was? You helpful know, or? several of them did. Yeah. Yes, they they took advantage of it and really did like it. So. Yeah, I, th I thought it was a great tool to have. And we just made it available at all open houses. And, you know, anytime we had a social event, we just said, hey, if you'd like to look at a contract, like you said, there were for the littles in the middle school and then high school. Yeah. And they could look at it and see what they wanted to use. But not being directive and telling you how to parent, you pick what works for your family. And I liked that about it too. Yeah, you know? I, think, I think that's such a good approach. And I think I having schools be involved in this is so important because I think so many parents are looking yes. for guidance and the, the natural look, of course, is, is the school. 
Yeah, we um, actually created a big refrigerator poster with some guidelines. And then the big guideline was common sense media <laughs> the, right. yeah. the, to go there because parents were just begging for resources, you know, how, how, cause they want to be involved and yeah. they want to do the right thing, but we just don't have a lot of um, experience in this area to know what to do. So, yeah. Well, it sounds like a tool like that um, allows parents to be proactive. And it also speaks to your um, suggestion, Jackie, when you said to be firm, um, yet warm, right? So the contract is the firm part, yet it leads the open communication uh, for the warmth. And so it's a talking point. So I think that's really good. And we can certainly link that in our show notes uh, because it certainly ties together your, your messaging as well. So before we end today, I'm wondering, how do you think the pandemic is going to affect your research moving forward? And as a researcher, you probably don't want to make any predictions. (laughs) I I understand that. But yeah, Yeah, no, it's and it's something that, you know, I've been thinking so much about. I bet you have. Yeah, I I think so. I, I think I do think that the pandemic has probably changed everyone's relationship with technology and social media, including teens, because it's impossible for it not to, especially now that so much is happening virtually over Zoom. Um, We're spending a lot more time, everyone is spending a lot more time on their devices. Um, Mm -hmm. So I I think, um, I definitely think that it will change our relationships. How that will happen (laughs) is the the question. so I, I think that in some ways, for te- I mean, for teens, which is really what I'm thinking about, right. I think for teens, I think that it um, in some ways maybe will force teens to think a bit more about their relationship with technology. So just the, the sheer mm-hmm. amount of time and mm-hmm. amount of daily tasks that are happening via technology, I think is just requiring people to take a step back and to say like, what do I need this device for? Yeah. When do I need to be using it? When do I want to take a break? I hear a lot more teens talking about just wanting a break from their devices because they're spending all day on Zoom school. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, I think it's it's reminded teens as well about the importance of social media for staying in touch with their friends. So thinking about how can I use social media in a way that's allowing me to stay connected while not sort of bringing me down and, and having all these negative kind of side effects that I'm not really looking for. So I'm hopeful that it will actually be a sort of a positive shift in our, in our thinking about technology, but I guess only, only time will tell. So do you have more research coming up now with the pandemic? Yeah. More research projects? Yeah. I'm, so I'm starting up a new research project now, mm-hmm. um, which um is sort of just in the early stages. So there may be some that happens during the pandemic, some that, um, and then a lot that goes on afterwards. And this is um, a project funded by the National Institute of Mental Health. Um, Again, looking at how um, social media use impacts um, teens at risk for suicidal thoughts and behaviors. And so um, for that project, what I'm trying, I'm doing a few different things, but generally I'm trying to understand types of things that teens are sharing and doing online 
um, and seeing if we can analyze really at a larger scale social media data so that we can predict maybe mm -hmm. who might be at more risk, maybe based on right. the language they're using online, the type of things they're posting, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and the other piece of it is that I'm trying to understand whether there are certain teens who might be more vulnerable to the negative effects of social media. So right. are there certain teens who maybe are more sensitive to um, like negative feedback they might get from their peers online? Right. Um, and then how can we help those teens um, use social media in healthier ways? Yes, yeah, that's what I wondered if there was a kind of a profile of a, a person that was more susceptible. And so yeah. it sounds like you're kind of looking in that direction. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because we, we do know that it varies, not surprisingly, a lot across teens. You know, not every teen is the same right. um, when it comes to their right. use and how it, right. they react to it. So I think that's really sort of the next step is to yeah. identify those teens that are at highest risk. Um, oh, I have another question for you that intrigues me. Gender, does gender play a role in this? Yeah, yeah that's, yeah, that's a great question. So, um, Yes, I think in general, we think that- I would think so. So in general, yeah. um, the research would suggest that both girls and gender non-conforming teens yes. um, tend to use social media more um, mm -hmm. and tend to report both more positive and negative effects mm -hmm. of social media. So um, it seems like maybe those groups, at least compared to boys, um, are maybe relying a bit more on social media for their for their interactions, yes. um, and that that's maybe having both a positive impact and yeah. potentially a negative impact on them. Yes, and then I have one more question. Do sure. you find that teens overshare more than they should on social media? Um, I that's also a great question. I. <laughs> It depends on the teen. Yeah. <laughs> so I certainly do see that some teens um, are sharing a lot more online publicly than they would be willing to share in person or mm -hmm. even than they'd be willing to share privately. Um, some teens definitely not, but some teens you definitely see that. Um, what's interesting though is I think for you know, for adults, we look at that and see that as oversharing. Like we see mm -hmm. like that's too much. Um, for a lot of teens, though, they don't always see it that way. I think for teens, there's sort of, um, for some teens, I think there are different norms around what's appropriate and not appropriate to share publicly mm, maybe because they've grown up with, with social yes. media. So there's maybe less of that. Um, there's less of the sort of privacy Boundaries. concerns yeah. and there's certainly less stigma around things like mental health concerns. Um, yeah. And so there's, yeah, so some of that we might see as oversharing, but I think they might not. <laughs> and then I have one more question. Do you structure your research um, to take the samples who you are interviewing and then work with them in years later to study impacts? How does that work? Yeah, so, so in some studies, some studies it'll just be like a one time really trying to gather as much information from them as we can about like what they think about social media. Mm -hmm. For other studies, like the one that I'm about to start up, it's um, a longitudinal study. So we'll, at the, when we first meet with them, we'll kind of ask about how they're using social media, we'll ask about their mental health, and then we follow them over the course of a year or two to see how their mental health changes. 
Um, and the idea with that is to try to be able to start getting at some order of effects. So, is, you know, is the social media use the thing that's leading to these later yeah. mental health concerns? And the only way to do that is to, to follow them over time. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then, you know, eventually it would be interesting to see as adults and how perhaps there's, there, if there are any impacts later on too. Absolutely, um, yeah. You know, this is the first, this is going to be the first generation that's really, yes. truly grown up with social media mm -hmm. from the day they were born. Right. <laughs> they were probably had a social media presence before they were even born. Right. Um, so it will be really interesting to see, um, see when they're adults, how that impacts them. So we'll just keep having you back then to, to find out these impacts. So that'll be great. We're really so appreciative um, of the work that you're doing because, I mean, it, it's informative for all. And so hopefully we can live healthier lives because of this. So we really appreciate your work. Oh, well, thank you so much. And thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Yes. It was fun. Yes. Thank you for being here and spending your time with us this morning. Thank you for listening. And if you would like to stay linked up, be sure to follow us on Apple and Spotify and subscribe to us on YouTube.